Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast, and if that's you, welcome home. Today, I'm bringing you a case that started with the tragic death of an ex-military spouse back in 1993. But while initially thought to be an open and shut case, it turned out it was anything but. This is a real whodunit, head scratcher, that will leave you wondering if your very own neighbor is the culprit. Shout out to one of my listeners, Mara, who was all over this case when an update broke this case wide open. Join me today as I tell you the story of Penny Williams. Now, let's dig in. Our story opens in the summer of 1993, but before I begin, I must explain to you a very messy relationship. If this was happening today, it would probably be a topic of discussion for messy talk, which apparently is like the Jersey Shore version of TikTok. But anyway, I digress. Well, in the summer of 93, 29-year-old Navy Chief Petty Officer Herman Williams was assigned to the Great Lakes Naval Base in Lake County, Illinois. Herman had already served 10 years in the Navy. He had reached the hump in every military career. He had two tours in the Gulf War under his belt. He was working on his second marriage while still thinking about his first failed marriage. Herman was married to a woman named Catherine who went by Kitty. Together, they lived at 765 Depot Road in Gurney, Illinois. Gurney is a small town located roughly seven miles from the military base, so Herman's commute was short. Gideon Herman hadn't been married very long. Heck, his first marriage had only been finalized a year and a half earlier. Herman's first wife, Penny, and their two kids, ages six and three, they had moved to Arizona after the divorce in 1991. Herman and Penny, both from Arizona, had married back in 1985, but they divorced in 91 or 92, citing irreconcilable differences. He was paying her $540 a month in child support payments. In the summer of 93, Herman got wind that he was being reassigned to the USS Gary out in San Diego. And for reasons unknown, Herman invited his ex-wife Penny and the kids to move into his house with his new wife. Penny packed up her things in Arizona. She broke off her engagement with a man she had been dating. And together with her kids, she traveled back to Illinois, where she moved in with her ex-husband. Penny got a job, she enrolled the kids in school, and then almost as if out of nowhere, Kitty, Herman's new wife, just seemed to fade into the background until Herman asked her to move out of the house. It turned out that Penny and Herman were attempting to reconcile, and so they needed their alone time, which honestly, all of this is just so messy. You tend to feel bad for Penny, you know, she has all these kids with him, but you tend to feel bad for Kitty because what the hell, she didn't sign up for this mess. Anyway, Herman swore nothing was going on with his ex-wife Penny, and he continued his relationship with his current wife just outside of the home, but he was still taking his ex-wife on dates. And that's where they were on Wednesday, September 22nd, 1993. Herman and Penny wanted to catch a movie that night, so they asked their downstairs neighbor, Wayne Ooklin, a dad himself, to babysit the kids. 
Wayne agreed and Penny and Herman left their house in a jiffy because they didn't want to be late for the movie. The thing is, the following day, Penny would never be seen alive again. Herman would claim he had nothing to do with Penny's disappearance, but authorities believed otherwise. On September 23, 1993, when Herman returned home from work and he saw Penny's car still parked outside, but no Penny inside the house, Herman thought it was odd. Where could she be? Why didn't she leave a note? You know, you have to remember it's the 1990s, so people normally left a note when they weren't going to be home. After hours of waiting and not seeing or hearing from Penny, Herman called the police to report his ex-wife missing, but they told him to call back because she hadn't been missing for 24 hours. Well, Herman stuck it out. The following day, Friday, September 24th, Herman decided to go to work as usual, even though he hadn't heard from Penny. But oddly, as he was driving onto the gate, the guard told him someone found Penny's purse. Whoever found the purse had turned it into the military police. So that's where Herman went. He picked up the purse and then went straight to the Gurney Police Department to report his ex-wife missing. But as in most of these cases, Herman was asking, hey, can you help find my wife? And the police... They were skeptical, asking, so what did happen to your ex-wife? Herman told them that it all started on Wednesday night when they went to the movie, but they got there late, so instead of watching a movie, they went to the mall and did some window shopping. After they did some window shopping, Herman dropped Penny off at the house, but he went to get a car wash because his car was muddy. Then he went to his storage unit to pick up an ice chest he promised his current wife, Kitty, that she could borrow for her trip to Michigan. But once he got to the storage unit, he realized he forgot his key. So instead, he went to McDonald's, bought an iced tea, and then showed up to Kitty's house empty-handed. As soon as he arrived at Kitty's house, he told the authorities, she was talking about her upcoming trip to Michigan. She was very upset because a camera that he had bought her, well, the batteries died. So together, they went to Kmart to buy some new batteries. At the Kmart, Kitty and Herman can be seen on surveillance video. They buy the batteries and some hair accessories for Herman's young daughter. Then they leave. Herman then dropped Kitty off at her apartment. She gave him two homemade t-shirts for the kids and he got back to his house where he lived with Penny at about 10.30 p.m. Herman continued saying that he walked inside the house and Penny was alone. The kids were not there yet. She was writing a letter to a friend. Then the two of them picked up the kids from the neighbor who just lived below them. The following morning, Penny woke up to make breakfast for the kids. The oldest child went to school and Herman dropped off their youngest at daycare and then he went to work. When he got home from work, he saw Penny's car in the parking spot, but she was not inside. He tried to report her missing that night, as I stated earlier, but he was told to wait. He said that on Friday, he tried to go on as usual, and that's when he learned that Penny's purse had been found. After police got Herman's side of the story, they attempted to corroborate his version of events. So they asked his son when the last time was that he saw his mother. The young boy, who was six years old at the time, confirmed that it was the morning prior when she poured him milk in his cereal, which corroborated Herman's story. The little boy then went on to say that before he left for school that morning, he saw his mom get into a car with someone he didn't recognize. That was the last time the little boy saw his mom. Police now, well... The fact that the little boy corroborates the story, they're intrigued. They still don't necessarily believe it. So they take Herman's car and they search it for evidence, but they didn't find anything. They released both Herman and the car. That day, Herman spent 13 hours being interrogated. 
And then, sadly, two days later, police were notified that the lifeless body of a woman was discovered near a shallow pond near a country club in Waukegan, Illinois. Investigation will reveal that the body was that of missing mom, Penny Williams. Her body's location was interesting because she was found in an area known for being used by people driving their four-wheelers through muddy areas. Apparently, this is something called boondocking. It's interesting because both Herman and his downstairs neighbors were known to partake in boondocking. But anyway, so were hundreds of other people. After Penny was discovered, her case was investigated by the Lake County Major Crimes Task Force. Penny was still fully clothed when she was found, and her autopsy revealed that she died from blunt force trauma to the head and abdomen. However, the murder weapon has never been discovered. It turned out that Penny had been dumped in the pond after she had been murdered. Sadly, Penny had various defensive wounds on her arms, indicative that her assailant was very close to her and Penny did not go out without a fight. During the investigation, investigators learned that Penny had plans to meet up with a co-worker named Christopher Jones for lunch, but according to him, she never showed up. And then, five days after they found Penny's body, an arrest was made. They arrested Chief Petty Officer Herman Williams for the death of his ex-wife. I know, I know, you probably saw that coming. But wait, this story is not yet over. You see, Herman Williams was acting weird AF. This is true. He even went to the hospital complaining of mental distress after they found the mother of his kids dead. But what the hell, wouldn't you be in mental distress too? Did this though, the fact that Herman was acting weird, did this add to the detective's beliefs that Herman was involved? What other evidence was there when they arrested him? Hi everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4am workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4am and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your cart and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Well, I've pieced some of this story together from historical reporting, so bear with me. 
The biggest thing with Penny's death was that if Herman's story was correct, then she would have went missing from sometime really early on Thursday morning through Thursday afternoon. However, at trial, a forensic pathologist, Dr. Nancy Jones, she testified that Peggy's autopsy revealed that she died between 8 p.m. and 9.03 p.m. on Wednesday, September 22nd. That would have been the day that they were going to the movies. Now, this seems like very damning evidence for someone, a forensic pathologist, to say that she died in this specific time bracket, right? Because that's exactly when Herman said he was window shopping with Penny. And then the prosecutors successfully introduced some soil analysis evidence at trial. At trial, the expert testified that soil found near Penny's body and the mud found on Herman's vehicle had similarities. Anyway, on February 14th, 1994, the trial against Herman Williams began. It lasted five days. The prosecutor's theory of the case was that Herman's motive to kill his wife was custody of the kids. He wanted to have the kids due to the impending move to San Diego, so he had to get rid of their mom. They alleged he killed her between 7.45 p.m. and 9.03 p.m. before he got that iced tea at McDonald's. And the kicker for the prosecution was the location where Penny's purse was found. Get this, Kitty's purse was found in a trash bin just 200 feet from where his current wife, Kitty, lived. While circumstantial, like all the evidence in this case, prosecutors said this was telling considering Herman's own admission that he was at Kitty's house soon after 9 p.m. And Kitty also testified at trial. As reported in the Chicago Tribune, Kitty testified that on the night in question, Herman showed up to her house unexpected at about 9, 10 p.m. She said on the stand, quote, his shirt was a little damp in the chest, end quote. And she also testified that the floor beneath his feet appeared damp. She also testified that Herman walked by the very trash bin where Peggy's purse was found a few days later. The prosecution also presented evidence that there were specks of blood found in Herman's truck. While DNA technology was still in its infancy back in the early 1990s, they were able to determine the blood type of the blood, and the blood type was O positive, which was both Herman and Peggy's blood type. The detective who questioned Herman after his arrest, he testified that Herman confessed to him during an interrogation, but the detective admitted the confession was not recorded, nor did he take any notes until two weeks after the alleged confession. At trial, Herman's defense team cross-examined the forensic pathologist who revealed that at one point, she had indicated that Penny could have died as early as Wednesday and as late as Thursday. Unlike when she originally testified when she said she must have died between 8 and 9 p.m. on Wednesday. And an interesting fact in this case is that Herman Williams took the stand in his own defense. Before closing out, the defense also reminded the court that Penny's own six-year-old son corroborated Herman's statement but no one cared. After deliberating for four hours, the jury convicted Herman of first-degree murder and he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. And there Herman sat in jail every single day, just hoping that someone would come to help him. He was adamant that he did not kill his wife. His two kids now were left orphaned, no mom and no dad. And well, with the passage of time and with advances in DNA and a little something called the Innocence Project, Herman Williams finally began to see the light at the end of the tunnel. The Innocence Project is a nonprofit that works to free the innocent. They prevent wrongful convictions and create fair, compassionate, and equitable systems of justice for everyone. The Innocence Project in Illinois believed in Herman's case. They at least believed that he had been convicted on scant evidence. 
After reviewing the file, they advocated to test the DNA found under Peggy's fingernails. Legally, worst case scenario, the DNA did not belong to Herman. Best case, the DNA belonged to Herman and they knew that they had the right man. So with that, the state tested the DNA under Peggy's fingernails and the DNA under her fingernails was not a match to her ex-husband Herman. And there was also an issue of some blood spots in Herman's car. Remember the O positive? Well, they were tested and the blood did not belong to the victim. After a brief hearing and a request, a Lake County judge vacated Herman Williams' conviction. And on September 6, 2022, after spending 29 years in prison, Herman Williams was a free man. He was only 58 years old at the time he was released. It should be noted that the Innocence Project worked on Herman's case for eight whole years. His attorneys were Lauren Caseberg and Vanessa Potion, as well as many more who I'm sure worked tirelessly on this case. In retrospect, according to a write-up on the Innocence Project website, the Lake County State's Attorney's Office acknowledged that his 1994 conviction was based on scientifically unsupported forensic pathology testimony regarding the victim's time of death that the prosecution hid favorable evidence at his original trial and that the detective who claimed Mr. Williams confessed is now known to have engaged in a pattern of misconduct, including securing false confessions and claiming suspects made admissions of guilt in other innocence cases. Remember that detective who testified at Herman's trial that he had confessed? Yup, he was a known liar and Herman had actually never confessed and quickly requested an attorney after his arrest. But let me just chime in here about one thing. Not only was the prosecution a foul in this case, so was Herman's defense team. As indicated by the Innocence Project, Herman's defense team was wholly inadequate. They failed to investigate the case. They failed to consult forensic experts of their own. And they failed to cross-examine witnesses. And critically, they missed opportunities to defend their client when the prosecution's own witnesses corroborated their client's statements. So Herman definitely had his overturn in the bag. Although who would believe that after spending close to 30 years in jail, you would ever be a free man? It's just an insane thought. You know, military life is so crazy. And I say this because when Herman left prison, he says that he didn't really have anything. He didn't even have any form of identification. So he couldn't even get on an airplane, even if he wanted to. So what did he do? He didn't have to do anything because his longtime Navy buddy drove all the way from California to Illinois to give Herman Williams a ride to Arizona. Of the injustice in this case, Herman Williams attorney Lauren Kasberg has said, quote, this horrific crime not only robbed two children of their mother, but because of a flawed investigation, lies from the police and prosecutors and withheld evidence, they also had their father taken from them. Mr. Williams lost nearly three decades of his life and his children had to grow up thinking their own father killed their mother because of the misconduct and faulty forensics that plagued this case. We have to push for more accountability and transparency among law enforcement and prosecutors to prevent more families being torn apart by wrongful conviction, end quote. Herman Williams is the 22nd person to be exonerated and or released through the work of the Illinois Innocence Project and the 240th through the work of the Innocence Project. But even with the happiness we might all feel for Herman Williams, one thing remains. The death of his ex-wife, 27-year-old Penny Williams, is still unsolved. 
and her murderer, if still alive, remains at large living among us. So what do you think? If they have DNA evidence in Penny's case, I think it'll be no time until they make an arrest using genetic genealogy. Or if the person is deceased, they might actually exhume the body just to confirm. I sure hope so because Penny deserves justice and so do her two children who are now in their 30s. Thank you so much, True Crime Army, for joining me today. If you haven't already, please share the podcast with a friend or if you're in a local Facebook group, share it there. It would really help me out. Military Murder is a Mama Margot production. This episode was researched in part by my listener, Mara. Thank you so much, Mara, for your help. My resources for this episode include articles in the Chicago Tribune, NBC Chicago, CBS News, The Telegraph, and the Innocence Project website. The theme music was created by TieUps. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of, so remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week, and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next time. Working on our podcast. I don't want to.